0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 304 with Rachel Steinman. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 304. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms Rachel Steinman is the debut author of Inherited, an insane family memoir coming out soon. Described as a literary Jackie Collins, Rachel's writing is steamy and confessional while remaining poignant and inspirational. Rachel received her bachelor's in psychology from UC Santa Barbara and her master's of education from UCLA. She's written a treatment for a TV series based on her book and is working on adapting the story to become a serial podcast. When she's not writing personal essays, she's writing editorial copy for a luxury lifestyle business. Rachel lives in Los Angeles with her internet marketing genius and hilarious husband, their athletic, musical, and bright teenage daughters who are 13 and 16, and their ridiculously cute rescue puppy. I reached out to Rachel after she shared part of her story in a Facebook group that we're both in. She shared that she was writing a memoir about four suicides in her family and her path to mental health advocacy. Rachel's family story is tragic, but not without some valuable lessons. And her journey in uncovering the layers of her family history is beyond compelling. I am so grateful she agreed to come on the show and share her story with us. Listening to hear Rachel share how she found her grandfather's unfinished memoir that told the story of four family suicides, how learning her family history helped her destigmatize mental illness, the importance of teaching your kids about their family's stories, traumas, and risk factors. How family trauma becomes part of our DNA and how she faced her family after writing about their darkest moments and actually was able to strengthen strained relationships. Like I said, this story is really, really compelling, and it touches on a lot of different intense, dark, deep topics. So I'm just so grateful that Rachel was willing to come on the show and talk so openly and so graciously about so many of these things that can be a little challenging. And she has a good sense of humor for the heaviness of everything that we are about to dive into. So I'm so, so honored and so grateful and very excited to introduce you to Rachel Steinman. Rachel Steinman, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here today. And I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. I already mentioned in our pre-interview that I just really appreciate you coming on. I know you're talking about your personal family story, and it's a pretty vulnerable story. So I just want to preface all this with saying I'm just really grateful that you're coming on to talk about a delicate topic, and I know that you're ready to kind of dive deep. So thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for sharing my story. Yes, I'm looking forward to it. So let's go ahead and hear just a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now.
1: Okay, so I would say my personal life overall, I feel very fortunate. I have two teenage daughters that I'm very proud of. They're accomplished and loving and wonderful and still in love with my husband, and I love where I live. I live in Studio City, California, and I can walk to restaurants and farmers markets, and we can barbecue and swim on weekends. And I have tons of friends, old friends, new friends. So as far as my social life, it feels wonderful. But there was always something nagging at me wanting to feel a little more fulfilled. And we'll get into, I guess, later on talking about why I started writing. But what I'm very excited about right now, besides getting my book out into the world, is this platform called Medium that is kind of like a blogging and social media platform that gets more eyes on my writing essays. Mm -hmm. And I'm using it to build a platform because writing is something that's relatively over the past five years, new to me. Before that, I was a kindergarten and first grade teacher. But I never in a million years would predict how life would take me. The process of getting a book out into the world is not a straight line. And actually, an essay I wrote about my grandfather and Anthony Bourdain with a subtitle about the fine line between brilliance, mental illness, and suicide that I posted on Medium, ended up getting a lot of attention because I think it really hit a nerve. And we all know someone that's either suffering from mental illness or maybe we ourselves are suffering. And we know that sadly, suicide is on the rise in all different ages and socioeconomic categories. And I'm just excited to kind of shine a light on this topic to wipe away the stigma. Mm. And it's been so rewarding for me to receive private messages from people thanking me and asking me to start women's groups. And it's just kind of put a little bit of fuel in my fire or given me, you know, wings to fly to help me understand that, you know, there's so many different possibilities when you share your truth. Yes, yes. And another interesting little thing to just say is that I also just recently started doing some copywriting for a luxury lifestyle business, and it's the first time I've ever written something that wasn't personal or you know nonfiction. And actually, this is nonfiction, but I've really been enjoying that challenge as well.
0: Fun! I love that, and that sounds very different than writing your own family history story. Oh, so totally
1: different. <laughs> I'm sure it's kind
0: of a fun diversion. Totally different.
1: It is. It is. It's been. Kind of nice, and to be
0: honest, a lot easier. <laughs> I would imagine it's a different. Yeah. I mean, there's a sense of responsibility that comes with it, but right with lighter topics, the responsibility probably feels different.
1: <laughs> right, right. Fun topics about yeah. food and travel,
0: yes. and yeah, yeah, nice. totally. Oh, yeah. That's so awesome. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. I uh, love. Well,
1: it's the beginning. It's just the beginning. Hey, that's okay. It's a, it's
0: a beginning. Absolutely. And I love. You know, one of the things I want to point out to our listeners is that you are using Medium as a platform to get yourself out there and get recognized as a writer. I want to point out that you don't have to wait until like, oh, I have to write this whole book and publish it and all these things before anyone can see my stuff. I love that you were resourceful and found a way to be a writer on your terms in your way, in a way that feels good and allowed you to get yourself out there before you had a completed memoir and, you know, a whole complete story to tell. And I think that that is so valuable, because I think often we get in our own way thinking that we have to make it to a certain milestone before we can do anything. And I think it's so valuable to just start taking the steps in that direction. And I think getting your work up on Medium is a perfect example of that.
1: Well, you know, what I would like to point out to your listeners is that they too can go on to Medium. It's really easy to use and wonderful. And it kind of grew out of my frustration Of writing essays and submitting them and just not hearing back from anybody. And I was just frustrated. And it was kind of this catch 22 of, oh, you can't get an agent because you don't have a platform. But how do you get a platform if you don't have anything published? So I just said, I'm tired of this. And I'm going to just do my own which is perfect for your listeners, yeah. shameless kind of self-promoting. Totally. And anyone can go on Medium and there's even a way to make money and I'm slowly making a few dollars on these essays, but it's it again, it's a beginning. Yes. And that feels good to just not keep, you know, feeling stagnant.
0: Absolutely. And I love the yeah. idea of I've had multiple friends who want to become speakers and they've been like, how do I get on stages? And the answer is you build your own stage. <laughs> that's right. So like, exactly. people aren't inviting me to come talk on stages, I'm going to start a podcast. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, exactly. you build your own stage. I love it. This episode is supported by Aqua True. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. Aqua True purifiers have us four stage reverse osmosis purification process and their countertop purifiers which is what we have take no installation or plumbing and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat Understood, explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. So, tell us a little bit about your entrance into motherhood. Before we dive into the book, I want to just know a little bit about your shameless motherhood, your entrance into motherhood. I know you have two teenage daughters, so talk us through a little yeah. bit. Yes. So,
1: like I said, I was a kindergarten and first grade teacher, and I've always loved children, and I wanted to be a mom since I could remember. You know, I look back now and I like, thank God I didn't get pregnant when I was with in some unhealthy relationships before I met my husband. But I also have to laugh, too, because I was a kindergarten teacher at a very exclusive private school in Pacific Palisades with, you know, your listeners may not know, but that's in L.A. and like near Malibu, very wealthy families. And I was 23 years old coming in, working with their precious, you know, children. And I was giving all these parents advice, which just cracked me up. And I look back at that now and I kind of have to laugh because I used to be judgmental then and think, what's wrong with these parents? How do they not have time to read with their kids? Or I can't believe they're bribing them. And then cut to I became a parent and I learned you never say never and you don't judge other parents. But once I had My first daughter, I never felt happier, but I also never felt a little bit more alone because my husband was just starting a business and he was off traveling and, you know, 530 would hit and, you know, I was eating cold mac and cheese and those beginning years can feel very lonely. But I look back now and I'm so grateful that I did take that time to be with my daughters and for selfish reasons, just for myself, it was Mm. so much fun. But again, you know, and I realize that this is what your podcast is about is kind of like reinvention. You get to a point where your kids, you know, you feel like they're on their own. They're starting to be more independent and you've lost a little bit of yourself if you stop working. And I was definitely feeling like, who am I? What's my next step? So yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really common sense that moms get at a certain point when you're like, wait, they aren't 100% dependent on me anymore. And who am I now? (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so a few years ago, your grandfather's unfinished memoir fell into your lap. And tell us about this event and how it was so timely. And also, just for frame of reference, how old were your girls when this happened?
1: Okay, so the year was 2011. So Amber was nine, and Molly was six. And my grandfather, back in 1987, jumped out of his high rise on Wilshire Beverly Glen, which for references, like basically in Beverly Hills. And 24 years later, his third wife, my step-grandmother, Susan Greer, passed away. And I was finally allowed to go back into the high rise. And I had a relationship with Susan, but my mom didn't. Mm -hmm. And so Her executor said, you know, since you're next of kin, you can go in and look around to find any personal belongings or photographs. And I knew my grandfather had written a manuscript, but when I asked Susan about it, she led me to believe it no longer existed. So when I found this unfinished manuscript, I nearly fell over because it just blew me away with all of the kind of deep, dark family secrets of four family suicides. And that means it was my grandfather's father, my grandfather's brother, my grandfather's wife. So that's my mom's mom, which means both of her parents committed suicide. And then, of course, you know, leading up to my grandfather. And I just thought, oh, my God, at this point, I'm 40 years old. And I'm ready to kick my mother, who's not diagnosed yet as bipolar. She was diagnosed as depressed and was taking Wellbutrin. But when you're depressed and you're taking something that kind of like picks you up and you also are bipolar, it can increase mania. So she Mm -hmm. just was not properly diagnosed. And she was just hijacking hours of my time and kind of making me cuckoo and doing things that were insane with my kids. And I was just ready to kind of kick her out of my life. I also was the same age or close to the same age my grandmother Doris was when she committed suicide. And I was starting to kind of question my own sanity a little bit like, okay, is this hormones or am I just feeling unsettled? And another thing was my mom kind of planted this seed. Oh, you know, Rachel, when I was your age, that's when I started really, you know, losing my mind and you should consider going on something. And I was feeling anxiety. But yet anyone that knew me would say, oh, my God, your life is so great. You have your feet firmly planted, which I did. But I had all these past ghosts and things that I just hadn't dealt with that I was pushing down. So, you know, I realized that, like, with my kids in school longer, you know, I could only exercise and cook for so long. And I was substitute teaching, but I really, at this point in my life, wanted to manifest something that allowed me some creativity because I, you know, I'm a kindergarten teacher at heart who loves to cook and craft, but I also wanted something that would allow me that flexibility. And so I laugh now because. I really think it was the universe teaching me a major life lesson, one that I still constantly struggle with, and that's patience. So, you know, as a teacher, you arrive on time, you leave on time, you do your lesson plans, everything's organized. It's how I was as a student. It's how I was as a teacher. Well, being a writer is something so
0: different and (laughs) something that I really had to learn. It's not nearly as linear as teaching. It's It's not not like we just check the boxes and go straight forward. (laughs) It's totally
1: unpredictable. And also, you know, I was stepping into something that I never did before. Mm. In fact, like, you know, I wasn't even the greatest writer in high school. Mm. I was really good at math. And so what I ended up doing is deciding, you know what? I'm going to be brave and I'm going to do this. And it's really scary, but I know there's a story here. And so I literally decided I'm going to sit down for an hour a day and go from there. And I Googled, how do you write a book? I mean, it was comical to me now, but I ended up getting lost in this process. Mm-hmm. And I ended up you know, downloading this great software called Scrivener and I put my grandfather's unfinished manuscript with tons of gaping holes. I put it in order as best as I could. And then I made a timeline. And then I interviewed family members. And then I even like started making character outlines for each so that I could really see them as three-dimensional. And then I started taking writing classes. And I realized, you know what? I have a story to tell. And I started writing my own stories, and I found all these parallels between my grandfather's story and my story about how traumas like sex addictions and alcohol and drugs and traumas, these things get passed down just because of mental illness. It's because they haven't been talked about or they haven't been dealt with.
0: Right, right. So you knew about your grandfather's suicide, but not the other three. Is that correct?
1: Well, of course I knew about my grandmother Doris because that was my mom's mom, but I didn't know many details. And, you know, I so wanted to know about my maternal grandmother who I'm said to look so much Mm. like I have the same big brown eyes that she had, that my mom has, that my daughters have. But yes, there was so much in there that helped me understand the path of how my Doris became suicidal and about her and my grandfather's father. So there were a lot of kind of check marks that helped me, but there was also a ton that was left open and for interpretation. And so I definitely went on a journey to try to figure out and put myself in their mind frame. And so I actually It's like a double memoir because I'm writing from my grandfather's point of view, using much of his own language, which was he was a fascinating character. My grandpa, he was a big real estate mogul that built his fortune in Manhattan. And he had grown up very wealthy on Park Avenue, being chauffeured Mm -hmm. by a Rolls Royce. But his father lost everything during the Great Depression. And he ended up going mad and he ended up committing suicide. And so my grandpa to like vow to turn it around and build this fortune back up and thought money was, you know, the road to happiness. And yes, he was successful, but he had the past traumas of his father and there was never any love or healing. And my mom, on the other hand, was this wild 60s child burning bras and running away from money and wanted nothing to do with it. Also, you know, poor thing, found her mom when she was 14 dead on the floor from overdosing from alcohol and pills so my mom was running from her tragedies and thinking oh money never buys happiness and you know was up to this day still a pretty wild child yeah
2: yeah
0: wow how interesting to learn these things about your family and the difference of seeing them as your family members and this being a piece of your history, and then also seeing them as characters in a story. Exactly. Um, Like that is just mind-blowing to me because when you see them as characters in a story, you're like, I just want to know more. This is so compelling. And then when you see them as family members, you're like, this is a lot of information to be responsible for because – I mean, like you've already referenced, like I need to be looking out for my own mental health. Like I might have some genetic predispositions here. And what about my daughters? And so there's like such impact in two different areas to have these two different points of view. And I think that's so fascinating. And how have you managed that piece? I
1: love that you brought that up about writing them as characters, because that's kind of how I had to do it. You know, I had to like almost look at this as like, what is compelling to the reader? But of course, it's a memoir. So it, it needs to be truthful. But, yeah, I mean, it's truthfully through trial and error. And, you know, I mean, my first manuscript was so long, it was ridiculous. Like, Mm -hmm. I just put everything out there. And then I realized, okay, not everything needs to be included. It was almost like an Ancestry.com, you know, piece expanded for like
0: to pass on to my kids kind of thing where
1: every relative was included.
0: (laughs) And self-editing is really, especially when you're telling a story like that, that, you know, it involves your family members. I would imagine self-editing is really, really hard.
1: It's really hard. Yes, exactly. And that's why, like, I did have to look at every person as a character. Yeah, exactly.
0: I mean, you've learned these kind of specific details about your family's history and these specific events, but how has learning these details, how has that shaped your view of your family and why has that been so important for you to share? Like, why have you felt compelled to make this into something that's not just for your family's consumption and understanding and relatability, but that's for the world to share and learn from and relate to?
1: So, you know, mm-hmm. mental illness is highly hereditary, but it's also exasperated by traumas that can get passed down. So like for example, my mom who found her mother, she suffered from post-traumatic stress. Now yeah. did she inherit that? No, that was something she witnessed. But she also inherited mental actual bipolar from mm-hmm. her genetic, you know, DNA. Right. And what I really learned is that, There is no shame in mental illness because it's truly a brain disorder. And whereas if somebody was suffering from a hereditary disease that they inherited or they got cancer, we would be there for them. As opposed to like, if you see, like, I remember always looking at my mom and thinking like, come on, mom, just get it together, like figure your shit out. Mm. And now I've found such compassion. And I think back to my grandmother, Doris, she killed herself after her son left for college. And back in the 50s and early 60s, hysteria was not understood. And people were either put in asylums or given electric shock therapy and put on strong lithium and she didn't have the power or the knowledge to understand what mental illness really was or how to get mental health. And I think back, like, had she had, you know, for example, a podcast such as this right. or a group of girlfriends or, you know, the right psychotropics, things would have been so different.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, the tools looked different and the availability And access to them was very different too. And just, yeah. And the breadth of tools was much more limited.
1: Yeah, And I also, I mean, you know, (laughs) and then I look at my grandfather and, you know, I thought he jumped because he lost his fortune like his father had. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was always about money. But, you know, 24 years later, when I finally was allowed back in, there was still an estate that ended up, you know, saving my mom. Thank God. Mm -hmm. Because my mom at that point was living paycheck to paycheck and couldn't afford her medication and everything. But it wasn't, it had nothing to do with money. He also suffered from major depression and mental illness. And he also never got over his father, his wife's and his brother's suicides as let's be honest, who would, but you know, in this day and age, there are a lot more avenues for support. And, you know, I think, like, why I'm so, like, if nothing comes out of this book, which I don't believe that's the case, what I have learned is that we are only as sick as our secrets. And, Mm. you know, whereas my mom ran from her diagnosis her entire life, like, of course, who would want to be labeled mentally ill when both your parents commit suicide? I mean, it's truly, like, Mm. mind-boggling, right? But the moment she faced her mental illness and didn't run from it, that's when her life got better. And it's so good to be able to talk about this and share about this. And I wanna remind people they're not alone. There's so many people suffering and there's so many people that are out there to help you. And NAMI, N-A-M-I, the National Alliance on Mental Illness is a great kind of resource to just Google if, if any of your listeners are
0: interested. I've been on that site before and I will link that up yeah. in the show notes as well. Thank you for mentioning yeah, that. Yeah, of course. I of love course. you that you point out that we're only, and now I don't remember the term. That you as used. sick as our yes, secrets. Yes, I was going to yeah. say, say as yeah. safe as our secrets. And I was like, that's not yeah. right. We're only as yeah. sick as our secrets. And I think that's so true. And I want to also address, and I don't know if this came up in your research or to what point it did, but statistically speaking, having a parent commit suicide like massively increases your chances of being suicidal and acting out on that as well. And so it's interesting having your grandfather, what he was surrounded by, like it's not surprising in some ways. That doesn't make it less sad and, you know, very traumatic for everyone involved. But when you have that many people around you coping with mental illness by suicide, like it's not totally exactly. shocking. Which exactly. Is really and when you're
1: feeling mentally very, like just, fatigued and ill and depressed and you don't want to get out, it feels like the easy route, you know, but what I want to remind anyone that's feeling depressed and God forbid suicidal, our suffering is part of being a human, you Mm -hmm. know, emotions are normal. Some are more severe than others, but Beyond that, the next day, the sun comes up and it can be beautiful. And you have to remember all these, there's so many wonderful stories of people that have survived that are so beyond grateful, because if suicide had been successful, they never would have gotten to live out such a full, wonderful life. And, you know, not to be cliche, but there's light at the end, you know, Mm -hmm. there's light on the other side. waiting for you and that's why we have to and sometimes people that are suffering are hiding in plain sight you know Mm -hmm. i don't know if you've ever heard of some like people that commit suicide and you're completely shocked because they had these full lives and you know it's real you know this is truly a brain disorder that requires often psychotropics but for sure therapy and love and support from friends and family and to just you know the kind of bravery to reach out for help.
0: Right, right. So for people listening, obviously, if you've been impacted by a suicide, keep in mind that you would be higher risk. And then also, if you know people who have been impacted by suicide, just be mindful of their experiences and that they would be higher risk as well and recognize how you might be able to be a supportive friend and kind of keep an eye out for warning signs and things like that, I think is very valuable. Exactly.
1: Um, and and it's why, like, you know, my older daughter, who is at very academic school, and the pressures are incredibly high, I'm always, you know, kind of in the background, in. worrying about her mental health, because, you know, the anxiety for our kids these days yeah. is just so high with college, and it feels a lot different with that, and, you know, mixed social media into it all, and it just feels exasperated. Yeah. And I have open dialogues with her all the time, like, honey, you know, our family history and I always want to check in. And if anything ever feels like it's too much, I'm here for you. And let's talk about it. And, you know, I mean, thank God she seems okay beyond normal teenage emotions. Teenage angst. (laughs) Right, right. But, you know, just Mm. I think me just talking to her about it, one, it, it relieves me knowing that like we're... She knows she can come to me, but I also just want to give her tools so that if she does get to that point, she knows to reach out and she knows to take care of herself.
0: Yeah, yeah. So a couple of really valuable points in there that talking about family medical history and this would qualify just as much Mm -hmm. and and i would also point out that like addiction qualified like these things where we kind of think Mm. like should i tell the kids there was a suicide like that seems big and heavy and the same you know i would say the same thing about like do you tell your child that their parent or grandparent was an alcoholic like yes you do because They have to know that this is a potential for them. And these are illnesses, just like they would be at potentially higher risk for cancer or another disease. This is the same kind of thing. And you have to let them know.
2: Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks.
3: Are you overwhelmed by the things that get in the way of you doing what you want to do?
0: They have to know about the compounding effect of intergenerational trauma. Have you researched intergenerational trauma as you've been writing?
1: Well, yeah, I have. And I want to get back to that in a second. But what sure, I sure. also want to just go back to a point you said about, you know, addictions. A lot of times when there is mental illness, you end up self medicating mm-hmm. and I mean, and when I say mental illness, I'm talking about OCD or ADHD. And my brother was undiagnosed attention deficit disorder, hyperactivity disorder. And he ended up doing crystal meth, which is a form of speed. And he ended up getting addicted. And there are so many addictions in my family Mm -hmm. for, you know, self-medicating. And thank God my brother's doing fantastic. He is killing it. He's sober and he has this successful business in Brooklyn called Jane Motorcycles. It's a lifestyle brand. And, you know, I'm just proud of him, but most proud because he has a meetings every Sunday night. That's like the most popular men's group in all of Brooklyn. And he's incredible. But yes, I talk about that with my kids all the time about, look, your uncle got addicted and, you know, and we have these addictions in our family. And My mom was self-medicating with pills that weren't prescribed to her. I just think that open dialogue is so helpful. Yes. And back to the intergenerational research, I mean, as far as actual research, I haven't done a ton, but what is fascinating to me is the study of epigenetics. And that is a study about how traumas and stresses actually change your
0: DNA. Yes, that's exactly what I was referring to. So I'm glad. Is that I what you're referring to? Yep,
1: yep, yep. And okay, so my family or Jewish. And I laugh because, you know, there's a lot of neuroses with Jews. And who knows if that, you know, I actually do believe it has to do with all the fight and flight that Jews have had to Mm, deal with over the course of years and years. And I do think it changes your DNA. But that's also coupled with learning from family members who are anxious. So it's fascinating to me, it really is.
0: It's really, really interesting. And this came up to me when I was doing therapy on my own a couple of years ago. It was brought this idea of intergenerational trauma was brought to my attention. So now I'm convinced, and this is like so lighthearted in comparison to what we're talking about, but I'm convinced that like I have stored, I have someone's family like stored trauma in me and I don't know what the trauma is. Oh, that's funny. So it's been really interesting. Like I was telling the therapist, I'm like, I feel like... How does it manifest? So it manifests because I feel like overly empathetic about things. And not to be like, oh, I'm such a thoughtful and kind-hearted person that I feel everyone's pain, but I feel like I feel other people's pain, like in a strangely acute ways sometimes. And I'm like, am I just weird? Like I shouldn't be processing someone else's trauma on this deep of a level. So for mm-hmm. example, like I witnessed a drowning a few years ago oh, okay. and it was so traumatic for me and I couldn't, like, it took me months of just like, I kept having like flashbacks on it and all sorts of things. And I was like, I witnessed this on a beach in Mexico. And like, I wasn't, in the middle of the situation. I was a bystander kind of as it was happening, but it impacted me on such a deep level. So I was talking to my therapist about this and she talked about two things. She said, you know, when you witness trauma, your brain can't separate out if you were just a bystander or if you were actively Mm. involved. So that was really interesting. But then she said, it definitely could be, and I just had like lifelong anxiety that's kind of unexplained. And she said, you definitely could have, like it could be like your grandma went through, you know, maybe your grandma or some other relative of her generation had some sort of sexual trauma or something that was never processed. And so that was imprinted on the family's DNA and carried through. And so she's like, you know, I don't, my grandma's not alive. You know, a lot of my like second generation family members are not alive anymore for me to ask these questions, nor do I think I would go to my grandma and ask (laughs) that anyway. Right. (laughs) Exactly it was just interesting to think about she's like you could be carrying someone else's trauma that is removed from you and it might not necessarily even be like your next level like your mom or dad for example it could be but it also might not be and that was just fascinating to me so yeah it that's is kind so of so
1: interesting I, was- I know well maybe it's like evolution's way of yeah. kind of warning you or getting you know you prepared for something that your ancestors weren't
0: able to, you know, I don't know. It it is so interesting. (laughs) It's so fascinating. So I haven't had the time to do more research on it. But whenever I have the opportunity to ask people about it in interviews, I'm like, tell me what you know, because I think it's very valid. And I think a lot of people can now recognize like, if you know that you're one of your parents had trauma in a certain way, then you can look at yourself and be like, Oh, maybe that's why I feel this way about these certain things, or I re- react in certain ways about certain in certain situations. And I think that's just again, just like knowing that your family has a background of mental illness or cancer or diabetes or anything, like that's just all really valuable when we look at our own experience right. and how it's we knowledge. Take, yeah, it's, and how we take care of ourselves in the world. I think it's so powerful. Exactly. So how has documenting your family history impacted your life in unexpected and surprising ways?
1: Well, you know, I definitely think writing is very healing and worthwhile because to know yourself is to really see things clearly. And I think to really live authentically and, you know, again, another cliche, the truth will set you free. Mm. I really think it does. And it was not easy and it's still not easy. And I wrote about a lot of my crazy past because I had a very tumultuous childhood with divorce and being you know not feeling welcome at my home just a lot of things happened in my life and I stirred up old ghosts and when I very easily could have walked away and when I found my manuscript my cousin and my mom they did not want to look at it and I delved deep into it and really spent a lot of time thinking about it and I felt like now at this point it's given me such clarity and I feel so much more settled because I'm not pushing the past away and I'm not fearful of the future. It's helping me. You now, don't get me wrong, believe me, I still have my anxiety. I still do that, but it's helping me more to be in the moment. But one thing I will say, and this is something that I've learned over these last five years, is that I thought, oh, I'm just going to sit down and I finished writing it. And once it's done, that's going to be it. No, that's not at all the case.
0: <laughs> you can't truth. just like put a bow
1: on it and put it in a closet? No, I can't <laughs> just put a bow on it and then it'd be a New York Times bestseller list. No, it doesn't work that way. The, the truth really does take persistence and perseverance. And it's why I sit my butt down every day and look at it and rewrite it and think of angles and think of essays and you know it's my own kind of mfa but right. it's also my own catharsis and so documenting your history is
0: just i mean even if it's just for yourself it's so worthwhile mm, i love that i think that's so powerful i love that So you mentioned being that your mom wasn't super into diving into this with you. What were your fears around making your family stories public? And how have you addressed that? And especially in preparing yourself and your family for that? Yes. So it's funny. So I
1: finished my first draft and I showed it to my brother who, you know, this is the brother that was the crystal meth drug addict. And He was great with it. He was okay with it. I was so afraid to show it to my mom. And to be honest, I still haven't shown her the completed draft yet. But I ended up, I'm so glad kind of the way things rolled out with the essays, which were like slowly kind of giving her little tidbits of the subject matter. Because when she first realized that I wasn't just writing about my grandfather's story, I was writing about her, she flipped out because she knew she was a wild child and yeah. not always the greatest mother. And, you know, she was worried and embarrassed. But now we've gotten to such a great point And I'm so beyond grateful. We've never been closer. And then it goes back to like telling your truth. And our conversations are so open and honest. And, you know, I told her this story. It's really a love story to her. It's a mother-daughter story that has a happy ending. But also on the other part about making, you know, my fears about making my family story public, you know, I really wanted it to be truthful. And my grandpa was such a narcissist. I mean, somewhat cut from the same cloth as a Donald Trump character, you know, he used self-tanner, he was womanizing, <laughs> he had affairs, he made deals on the golf course, it was all about winning. I mean, he's even mentioned in The Art of the Deal, His he and his business mm-hmm. partners. And, you know, as I was reading his writing, I thought, well, is all of this true? He's such an exaggerator. So I wanted to make it kind of clear that a lot of his boasting, especially in his later life, was really just defense mechanisms mm, yeah. so that everything that was told felt truthful mm-hmm. and clear or you understood where he was coming from. Mm. And then I think the last point I'll say about like making my story public is my daughters have not read it. They're 13 and 16, and the subject matter touches on My own teenage sexuality and drug addictions to pills and alcohol, and like I said, crystal meth and affairs, and there's bad language and bad behaviors. And now, granted, I know it would totally fascinate them if it weren't their mom. Right. 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 Like, that is just like, I feel like they would just want to die. So, I basically, because they've asked, so I said, when you're 18, you can read it. And at that point, I hope they'll be mature enough to yeah. understand and be able to put it in context. And right. yeah,
0: right. I've yeah. actually heard a handful of people talk about the power of writing about their family stories and the courage it takes to confront your family to be like, so here it is.
1: <laughs> and God, that's I mean, really, it's really,
0: oh, I'm sure it's terrifying and really hard work. But I've also heard that at the end that so many people say like it's the hardest part of the process in some ways and then also it's like the most beautiful gift at the end as well that like things tend to work themselves out
1: well i mean here's the thing if you're telling the truth and it's right. your truth right then you have to feel secure in that. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to blatantly just sell someone out just to sell someone totally. out. That's not ever was never anyone. My goal, you know, my yeah. goal was to heal from this. But yes, it's very scary. I developed TMJ. I, <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> you know, I was in writing <clears throat> groups and it was this was a topic that came up all the time.
0: So, Interesting. yes. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you pushed through the sticky parts and the hard parts, because I think that this is such a powerful story. And I think, I mean, we've just talked through like multiple really valuable lessons that can come out of sharing a story like this. And so I'm really excited about it. I have one more question for you, but tell us, because now everyone wants to read this. So (laughs) tell us when is the book coming out and where will people be able to get it? Do you have that information? So
1: I do not have that information okay. yet. Yeah, okay. yeah. So it's coming out soon. I just don't know. I can't give that information okay. just yet. That's okay. But, you know, I would love your listeners to follow me on Twitter. Okay. And then um, they'll know. They'll get all the updates. Once it's available, they will know.
0: Okay. Yeah. And, and I'll keep an eye on things, too, because I will definitely... Post And we have a private Facebook group for my audience. Yes, I just joined it. Oh, I'm yay.
1: So I'm so impressed with your broad reach across the country and maybe the world. Uh, yeah, I think it's across the world. I,
0: the other day That's someone was so commenting cool. about something from Australia and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. It's so great. Yes. So, Go but I definitely want to, I know. <laughs> I'm glad you're in that group because I'll definitely, when the book comes out, I want to promote it there and definitely share Thank with people you. there because I know that this will be really impactful to our audience as Thank well. You. Thank so you. So now I want to know... And I mean, you've shared many examples already, but I do want to know in what ways you're a shameless mom.
1: Okay, so I think I'm shameless because I speak my truth and I didn't just walk away from my family's dark legacy of suicide, but instead I shone a light on it so that I wouldn't pass it down to my daughters. Mm. And I also feel shameless in that I do take care of myself first. I do yoga. I do Pilates. I hike. I meditate, and I carve out time to be with my cherished girlfriends, which, as we know, girlfriends are such good medicine. Oh. I've also feel shameless now because I was so afraid to be rejected with this writing, and at the beginning, the query process is brutal, or you just don't hear back, mm-hmm. but. I don't fear it anymore. I know it's only making me stronger and it's part of the process. It's part of the growing process. Writing by many ways, respects is about failure and going back and editing. And I also, you know, feel shameless because I model by example for my daughters that a life worth living is one that's full of love and friendship and family and authenticity.
0: I love it. Oh, what a great way to end. <laughs> this has been Thank you. so fantastic, Rachel. I'm so grateful that you are sharing in the way that you are. And I know that your story is going to help a lot of people and really give people a new lens through which they can see how we do stigmatize mental illness and addiction and those kinds of things and how we can destigmatize all those things as well. So this has been really, really valuable and really powerful. And I'm so grateful that you were here.
1: Thank you so much, Sarah. Really, this has been my pleasure. And I just wanted to add also, you can definitely find me on, I would love you to follow me on Medium. Uh, yes, that was my next hand- question. Where can we, oh, where oh, can we stalk okay. you? Go for it. Tell oh, us. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. So <clears throat> Medium, my name is Rachel, be like boy Steinman. And my Twitter is right now, Rachel, W-R-I-T-E now, Rachel, R-A-C-H-E. Awesome. And um, yeah, I would love to hear from your listeners.
0: Perfect. I will link everything up in the show notes so people can find you. And thank you. Again, I'm gonna just repeat your Twitter because it cut out a little on my end and I don't know if in the Sure. Recording. So it was Right Now Rachel and that was W-R-I-T-E N-O-W-R-A-C-H-E-L. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Awesome. Go ahead. And
1: Sarah, I just want to thank you so much because I can tell what an inspirational woman you are. And I think it's really important to remind your listeners that everyone has potential and the importance of being fearless.
0: Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. All right. Such a great love fest to end on. Thank you so much, Rachel.
1: Okay, thank you. You take care.